Well, good morning and welcome to another one of our Wednesday live stream panel discussions for entrepreneurs, startup founders, innovators, and investors. Um, I'm Brett Waters. I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life. Today, I do a little teaching at Stanford University. Um, and I'm actually, this morning, I'm on the beautiful campus of Santa Clara University, where I'm here to give a talk on my new book called The Launch Path which you can buy at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you please. Um, glad you're here. So um, also joining this morning is my friend in the taco business, Louis Lowe. Brad, thanks for having me. And I, every time uh, you turn that jingle on, it just gives me, <laughs> I know we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. So. Exactly. All right. So Louis, give us the brief introduction on yourself. How long, how long have you owned a taco truck? Um, I am a Silicon Valley lawyer, and I've been practicing uh, in the Valley for 20 years. But today, I am in Gotham City in our New York office. Uh, that's the tie, and you can see the smoke coming yeah. out of Gotham's armpits. Yeah. Uh, in Silicon Valley, we're not used to ties, Louis. I know it. I know it. you got to mix it up. But, you know, there are startups here in New York. Ah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Also joining is Natasha Allen. Hey, Natasha. Hi. Hi, everyone. Natasha Allen. I am also a Silicon Valley lawyer wearing a jacket in Silicon Valley. So that's all right. We mix it up here, too. Um, I've been practicing in this area for quite some time. I'm not as bold as Louis to say how long, but I am long <laughs> in the youth. Uh, and just excited to be here to talk about term sheets and what to look out for. And, and Natasha and I together co-lead a team that represents several hundred emerging growth companies at all stages of growth, uh, growth agnostic, stage agnostic. Uh, technology agnostic, as long as you have some. Uh, and uh, we are known for using technology tools uh, to accelerate the growth of our startups uh, and, and to have practical and commercial solutions that make sense, which is why we have this podcast. Excellent. So, uh, Louis and Natasha, we are, here it is, January 2024. And, you know, I think that everybody is in agreement that it's a whole different economic environment especially for fundraising and M&A um, than it was two or three years ago. And, you know, of course, the, you know, the, the heart of most financing transactions is some sort of a term sheet that gets issued uh, that outlines the terms by which an investment will be made. And then once the parties agree to that, the lawyers turn that into a set of, uh, set of definitive documents. So Term sheets in my, you know, my career in Silicon Valley, term sheets, you know, kind of evolve over time in terms of what is considered uh, normal and standard. Um, and now we're in a slightly more complex fundraising environment. And on top of that, there's kind of more different financing structures than ever, right? There's, there's not only is the straight equity finance, venture financing, there's convertible notes, there's safes with side letters, there's uh, kind of all kinds of different variations on the theme. So, Louis, maybe you can just start us off by, you know, what you are seeing in terms of trends uh, right now in terms of the Silicon Valley uh, uh, financing transaction scene. Um, thanks for asking, Brett. And I think what you've just described is fundraising in high resolution. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we, Natasha and I, try and do is help our clients bring in capital in whatever way we can. Mm -hmm. uh, the best way to bring in capital, of course, is from customers. Uh, which don't dilute you. Uh, yeah. Another great way to bring in capital is through the Small Business Administration or some other government program uh, that, again, doesn't dilute you uh, or doesn't it doesn't have any kind of guarantee. 
um, but uh, oftentimes uh, to get the kind of growth that you need to get to the next uh, benchmark or metric of success that you need to hit a financing target or some sort of an exit, um, you, you need capital uh, to fuel the growth. And, and that can come in, in one of various ways. You know, the, the, the first way would, would be uh, just selling common stock. Um, this is a terrible thing to do, though, when your company uh, is, is pre-revenue or, or in early stages of revenue or even in later stages of revenue. And tell your IPO you don't want to be selling common stock. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you then could sell preferred stock, which is what the venture capital firms want. But there you're going to have to negotiate a value. And right now is a tough time. Uh, to be asking uh, uh, for a, a fixed valuation as the outlook uh, uh, from venture firms is pretty is pretty it's pretty much on the down low, and and so what we really would like to do is is sell a security where we can decide what the equity value will be at a later date, at a later date when you have hit some bigger revenue markers, uh, and so the the two instruments that we use. Uh, to defer that valuation would be a simple agreement for future equity uh, or a convertible note. A simple uh, a convertible note is, is the old school way of doing it. Uh, typically, you'd have a 20% discount to the conversion uh, price that a future Series A or Series B investor would pay. Um, you're, you're typically have a maturity date of two to five years. Um, you have a low interest rate, um, which is usually set at whatever the Fed rate is, so 6 7% right now. Um, and sometimes you'd have security if it was, a, especially if it was a bridge round, otherwise you wouldn't. Um, and so the teeth there is the maturity date. Um, a safe is something that the Y Combinator Accelerator came up with 10 years ago. Very founder-friendly instrument. It isn't equity, it isn't debt. So what is it? Well, it's, it's a contract. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have to pay it uh, if ever you were to liquidate. But it has no maturity date and it converts into equity. Uh, if and when you you raise a future round, so those are are the um, you know the zooming out the high level instruments, Brett. And right now, what companies are still trying to do is continue to raise at a flat uh, round, avoid the down round, and if they do have to do a down round, uh, doing it with a safe or a convertible note that just has a lower cap. Again, that that simply postpones the recognition of the down round until you have that next round of, of equity. So I've said a lot, and I'm going to stop there and let my partner, Natasha, correct me as she always does. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I agree. Those are the instruments that you typically see. Uh, one of the things that used to be in play was venture debt, but I think given the trend, so I think really what's happening right now is there is more of an investor-friendly trend uh, because a lot of the amounts that were raised two years ago, people are coming to the end of their runway. So there are, is some you know, need for people to get cash. Uh, and whether that be through one of the instruments that Louis said, uh, venture debt is probably not very viable because typically you need about 12 to 18 months runway to even be eligible for venture debt. Um, but you do have that push-pull between existing kind of investors and investors that want to come in now. So mm -hmm. it's just in terms of trying to figure out, you know, obviously if it's an investor-friendly environment, the older investors might get crammed a bit in terms of the new terms that are coming out. Uh, you're seeing things like uh, cumulative dividends coming in, the liquidation preferences being a little higher, and that's usually for late stage companies, like growth companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're seeing, um, uh, but those are the, the key things, like in terms of terms that are 
kind of causing a bit of a push-pull between your existing investors and new investors that want to come in right now. Also, you're seeing stacking, right? Typically, when you do these financings, all the preferred stock are on the same level. You know, one doesn't, you know, stack above the other. But new investors now are somewhat looking to, to get that preference because, again, like I said, the cash is running out um, and people are looking for capital. So... I imagine that we're starting to see uh, uh, some bridge financings as people ran out of money and the current investors want to kind of step up and keep the lights on for a little while, um, hoping the new investment. It, so are those bridge financings, are those <clears throat> typically structured as convertible debt or how are they typically structured, Natasha? So I've seen both, right? Uh, safes are usually the ones that are at the top forefront, uh, but it depends on the ecosystem you're raising in, right? Some other ecosystems for venture financing are more comfortable with convertible notes. Uh, but typically you see safes are still kind of uh, leading the charge in terms of bridging the gap. Uh, yeah. I would say that opening a safe as a bridge is an optimistic signal market. Mm -hmm. uh, using yeah. a convertible note right now is perhaps less of an optimistic signal to the market. And, and so right, when I right. sit in board meetings and we talk about, well, we're going to need a bridge of, you know, a few million between now and when we hit 10 million, which is the time to start raising the B, let's open up a safe, let's have a high value cap, um, let's have no interest, no maturity date. And that shows that we're all feeling good about the company. Now, on the flip side, if, uh, if, if people are tired of extending these, uh, these bridges or, or are getting impatient, um, maybe they're going to open a convertible note. Maybe it's going to have a short term on it to signal to the market that, in fact, we do think we can convert this thing and raise our next round uh, within a year, within six months. Um, and so um, there, there, there is no right answer, and there are many ways to cook a sauce and to make a taco, Brett. Many ways to talk, make a taco. You're talking my language now, Louie. So I had the experience once of founding a company. We structured the seed round as uh, convertible notes. Um, and uh, two years came and went, and we did not successfully raise a, a price round, a Series A. Um, and interestingly, the way the notes were written, it wasn't clear what happened. Um, well, it was clear, which is the note was due and payable, uh, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but we didn't have a, we didn't have a way a way of paying it. Um, and so, luckily, in that case, it was a pretty friendly investor group, and I simply called the ball up and said, uh, "said Hey, why don't we just uh, agree on a valuation and con convert all this to equity at this point, right? Leaving these notes open, and that worked out fine. But um, but it certainly made me realize that um, you know if you don't think about various eventualities and kind of document what happens um you know clearly in the on the term sheet and then in the docs that you can find yourself in a situation that is kind of undefined and scary yes we, we um so startups who are raising capital should always be working with council council should be tracking the issuances of the capital in some sort of cap table software tracking mechanism um, everybody used to love Carta uh, since a month ago. They don't love them so much anymore. And there's AngelList <laughs> and there's Pulley and there's Shoebox and there's several other great solutions. And if anybody can reach out to Natasha and me and we can share with you uh, what these are. Um, but you've got to be be very cognizant of when these convertible notes come due. And, and um, 
I suspect that as we get deeper into 2024, uh, investors are going to be less and less amenable to extending the maturity date on those things. Yeah. As, as uh, Brent, you don't always have to convert them. Uh, and, and again, that's an accommodation. Those things have to be paid back or extended. And, and so extending at least allows the investor to continue to accrue interest, whereas converting, you know, you're, you're agreeing on a price and there, there's no more interest. Uh, Jordan Jordan jumps in with a uh, with a Carter alternative called uh, Ecvista, I guess. I haven't heard of it, but I'll check it out. Sounds like we so, need to have a separate webinar on that whole topic. Exactly. <laughs> so Remy asked a really good question, which is that you know we were a minute ago we were talking about bridges. Uh, what yeah. does that mean exactly? Um, and Remy so, says that for him, they're currently at a at a B, so they're expecting to raise a C. So what the hell's a bridge? So a bridge is just uh, pretty much money that you get in capital. You can get in by, like we said, by way of convertible note or safe that allows you to get the metrics in place to raise a successful seat. So if your valuation isn't what you want it to look like, or if you don't have the metrics in order to raise a C, you either can ask for internal investors to put more money in to bridge the gap right between making those metrics uh versus having external investors come in to help bridge the gap but that's essentially it's just getting in capital to make sure that you have uh enough money and metrics to meet, meet the next round of financing right. or to a sale you could bridge to a sale or a sale yeah a bridge to a sale right 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 so um louis you know i always laugh about how um uh the whole idea of a safe was that it was a lightweight document that would replace convertible notes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, now everybody's loading up safes with side letters that make them 10 times more complex than they should be. <laughs> so we're, we're completely gotten away from what the original idea of the safe was when it's, it was a lightweight, simple document. Yeah. Um, but talk to us a little bit about side letters and what that means. Yeah, so um, a safe is a document that is posted on the website of Y Combinator. And it should say on it that nothing has been changed to the Y Combinator safe except to fill in the blanks. Uh, and if it doesn't have that language, then that means you are looking at a safe that is not a safe. It's something an investor downloaded and changed. And it, it's very funny. I see um, all sorts of variations of of people trying to say that what they're serving up is a safe, but it, sometimes it even has a maturity date and interest. <laughs> that sounds that's a lot like a note to me. Well, that's not a safe. That's a note. No, no, it's just it's just got a couple changes. Yeah. Um, so that that's one variation of of uh, what I'll call a dirty safe. Um, but the other is, um, and I, I wouldn't call it dirty. I, I think. It, when it, during the heyday of 2021, as, as things were, were moving so fast, investors were writing bigger and bigger checks on these safes and, and they weren't getting all the information they needed, uh, mm -hmm. both to make an informed investment decision as well as to monitor the investment thereafter. And so they started to try and boil down the critical parts of the investor rights agreement, the right of co-sale agreement, the voting agreement, and boil them down into a, a short document that they called a side letter. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and um, you know, these are very important documents for investors to feel like they, they know what they've got and they, and they know um, how to value it uh, going forward. So um, if, you, if you're looking at a company and they say they have safes, assume there are side letters and demand to see them. 
so that you know uh, the status of the company and who has what rights, when, where, and how. Exactly. So um, we have a question here about C Corp raising dollars, safe and rural, are the funding amount publicly available? Great so, question. And yeah. question. And, and yeah. the baseline answer is no, um, except that um, one of the re many reasons if you're an entrepreneur raising capital that you need counsel is that there are federal and state securities laws that apply. Yes, they do. Um, and one of those is is that you have a uh, an exemption from registration with the Securities and Exchange Commission or the relevant state Securities Commission. And we typically will satisfy those by filing what's called a Form D with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And a Form D uh, is publicly available and it has some information about the maximum amount of capital that you raised uh, and in some cases from from who and, mm -hmm. and it's required to be signed by officers and directors um, so so looking at a, a form d will tell you something and then certain states uh, if you don't want to file a form d you'll have to comply with the state securities laws um, as the federal uh, filing would supersede the states. And, and some states have publicly available information that's filed and available, but, but it's very hard to find. Um, so the short answer is, is you know, look on the sec.gov website if you're looking to find out whether a C-Corp raised. And, and if they did their job right, probably it's, it's there. Yeah. And then following up on that, you know, Jordan's asking about uh best states if not delaware so as as uh, most of our uh, listeners know delaware has always been kind of the default choice to incorporate a business in uh for for a venture funded business but increasingly you're seeing some alternative jurisdictions right louis natasha yeah i think uh i had heard that nevada was trying to have businesses come and incorporate there um you know, typically we see, uh, obviously we always say go Delaware and most investors say convert or, you know, to Delaware. Uh, but I would say Nevada, there was also, um, what was one well, of the- Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming. Wyoming yes, because sorry. of um, digital asset legislation there is very well um, established. Yeah. And I would say, I would say Cayman Islands is another place where um, you have some sophisticated, uh, rules and some some non-US investors prefer to invest in a US business through a Cayman vehicle. So for, for tax and, and for other privacy reasons, um, those are all places that we see companies forming. It's kind of, it's outside the scope of this discussion, but uh, for, Latin, for Latin American companies these days, they're often doing a Cayman sandwich. Oh yeah. You have, oh. The, op, you have the investment going into a Delaware C-Corp then a Cayman Islands entity that is the holding company and then the Latin American company that's the operating company. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's almost as good as a taco, but not quite. <laughs> so um, what, what else, Natasha, what are you seeing in terms of trends as we enter 2024? Uh, in terms of trends, I would say that the environment is pretty difficult, right, in terms of getting term sheets, but there are term sheets floating around. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and like I said, it, it's that uh, push-pull between existing and new investors coming in uh, that, you know, the boards and founders will have to grapple with. Um, I've 
seen that, you know, January has been a lot busier than December, but I don't know if that's indicative of the rest of the year. Um, but definitely think that um, companies will have to be grappling with some of the more, you know, investor friendly terms uh, and really figuring out, does it make sense to raise now or wait and try to do a bridge? Yeah. So Brett, you know, one trend that we're seeing uh, intensely right now are venture firms looking at you know, when, when did they raise, you know, how much dry powder have they spent and how much mm -hmm. dry powder remains and when do they want to raise their next fund? Um, and then minus how much do they need to hold in reserves to fund follow on rounds of the companies that they've already committed to some, some venture funds that would be a zero cause they don't do follow ons. Uh, but many do. And I think uh, one trend we're seeing is that venture funds, uh, you know, in 21 blue, through their 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 powder faster than ever before, and it took them a while to slow down in 22. They slowed down a lot in 23, but I think um, they're still a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, you, you time that together with the fact that they have to mark to market the value of their investments every quarter, and and they have to look at the public markets in order to do that. And while the Fantastic Seven exploded in value in 2023. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the market did not. Mm -hmm. And so the comparables are not very excellent. And so uh, for the limited partners that invest in, in venture capital firms, they tend to look over over um, extended on venture when you combine the mark to market valuations that they have uh, and, the, and the assets that they're currently holding. And so all this means that 2023 was a slow year um, we've seen uh, just a, a lot of new activity so far in 2024, so I'm very optimistic um, about about the year. Um, but a trend is that these venture firms are looking at their portfolio and they're saying, okay, this one is the one that really I want to mm -hmm. put my time and money on. This one's a maybe. These guys are never going to make it. So the ones that are never going to make it, you know, do they, they certainly don't want to take a write-off to zero. Um, they'd like to see some sort of an outcome. And so they're telling them, hey, why don't you go talk to my portfolio company over there? Because you're really adjacent or additive or they could use your team. And, you know, you still have some money in the bank. Why don't you combine? And so we have an, a venture financing via combination where you have mm -hmm. two companies that really couldn't raise in the market right now. Uh, they each probably have some money and some talent and some product. And, you know, there's one bigger one and there's one smaller one and you're going to put them together. You're going to probably uh, riff a lot of the employees. You're going to go keep the best of breed and you're going to announce you've just raised the amount. The, the larger company will announce that they've just raised what, whatever was in the bank of the smaller company. Um, so that right. that is the uh, the venture capital transaction via M&A. Right, right. Take two sinking ships and tie them together, hoping, hoping it'll float. Well, I don't think the, the larger ship is a sinking ship, uh, but it can benefit. And and you know, one of the questions is, well, what do you pay them with? You pay them yeah. with stock. What kind of stock is it preferred or common? And then what rights do you give? And there, there's the push and pull. I think also another trend is also that there are funds that are being still funded now. I think at the end of last year, not a lot of money was going into new VC funds or new um you know, it was very hard for VC funds to raise. And I'm finding that there are a lot more out there that have liquidity and are willing to, to deploy. Like Louis said, he's optimistic, but I, I guess we'll see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So Louis mentioned a minute ago the Fantastic Seven, which is actually not a new Marvel movie. It's, uh, the New York Times earlier New York Times earlier this week had an article about how most of the gains in the stock market last year were from just seven tech companies: Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, Meta, etc. So um, let's see. Um, there's a lot going on right now, I think. And um, I think, Louis, one of the things I always ask you is whether or not you've seen much in the way of alternative investment structures, and you always say no. So when I say alternative investment structures, I'm talking about things like um, uh, a note where the payments are defined as being a percentage of revenue, revenue share note, um, you know, stuff like that. Still not seeing that stuff. Still not seeing that stuff, okay. No, no. Investors who are putting in money, they want uh, the gold standard uh, yeah. with all bells and whistles. And uh, I'm not finding a whole lot of appetite to finance um, other people's uh, payables. Um, yeah. I'm finding that debt is, uh, it's out there, but it's very hard to come by. Uh, Natasha mm -hmm. venture debt and bank debt. And I think venture debt, you can only have it if you've raised money from a tier one venture capital equity fund. Um, and in the several months thereafter, otherwise forget about it. Um, and the, the number of venture debt providers has really um, changed since the, the regional banking crisis of, of last spring. Um, they're still out there, but they're kind of recomposing them, their teams and trying to figure out what they can do. And then bank debt, um, I think as the, the standards for lending have, have gotten even tighter, uh, interest rates higher and and it's just hard hard to come by. So uh, you come back to people want uh, equity uh, at at very low prices with a lot of rights. Yeah. So Jordan has very helpfully provided us with the list of the Fantastic Seven. So we've got Meta, Facebook, we've got Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Google, Microsoft, and Tesla. Those are the Fantastic Seven. Um, so let's talk about governance for a minute. Um, you know, I was thinking about how many of the most spectacular explosions in the startup world last year were governance related, right? So we had FTX, which is you know, by some bizarre uh, situation, investors have put hundreds of millions of dollars into a company with no board of directors. Um, and Sam Bankman-Fried was just out there spending, spending money um i think svb at some level was a government's issue go governance issue and certainly open ai was not a failure but open ai was a a lot of drama around governance issues mm -hmm. so um you know certainly in a in an equity financing the term sheet usually will specify board compositions it'll say something like this five members of the board there will be five members of the board and two of them will be chosen by the preferred shareholders three of them will be chosen by the common shareholders yada 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 but i just wonder whether each of you could kind of talk to that and um you know whether you're seeing more uh, you know more more uh, requests for governance processes given what's happened the last couple of years yeah i'm happy to start natasha interrupt me um mm -hmm. you know we saw the explosion of the of the side letter to the safe because early stage and seed stage companies were raising, you know, sometimes $25 million, sometimes even more uh, on yeah. a simple faith. I mean, it used yeah. to be that Series A was 5 million last year, more yeah. like nine. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. 
the, the safes really were, were designed to be $1 million checks. And now, uh, you know, they got larger. So investors started to say, hey, you know, there is no governance in a safe. So we've got to set this out in the side letter. Right, right. Uh, it, it's, it's very important that uh, investors get access to annual, quarterly, and even monthly financials so that they know uh, how to value the company. And when things start to go sideways, they can intervene mm-hmm. and say, hey, what's going on? Where did the money go? Um, I, you know, I have an investor client that demands access to the bank account so that he, she or he can mm-hmm. see the bank balances mm-hmm. at, at any time. That's, that's the way to protect yourself against fraud. Yeah. Um, but there's kind of two, there's two things there. One is information rights, right? Yep. And, the, and the other, and the other is governance. So information rights is, you know, I, I want to be able to see financial statements anytime I ask for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and governance, you know, bo- you know, things like board governance is governance is usually something like, <clears throat> you know, expenses over a certain amount need to need to be subject to board. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or how about related party transactions? Or related yeah. party transactions. Exactly. Right. And even the composition of the board, right? So sure. making sure that there's independent investor or independent board members or you know allowing for seats for strategics right to come in um that's also something else that uh, a lot of companies are looking at um just to make sure that your board is a, a little diversified especially in this climate right if you can't get a lot of cash why not get a strategic that can help get cash through the door mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so how often do you see this on a term on, on a term sheet in terms of board composition yeah. Hopefully every time. I would Hopefully say add it in. <laughs> add it right. in. If it's not in there, add it in. And right. if you know who you want to have on the board, put the names in and just have it all set out. I think, right. and I don't know whether you can agree or disagree, but I think the more you put in the term sheet, the better it is because it's pretty much your roadmap to the main docs. If you have something right. you want to hash out, argue, get it in the term sheet, get the arguments over yeah. with so that when it comes time to drafting, there's no surprises. Yeah, that is a, I think that is a super important tip on this whole conversation is don't wait until you're editing the final, reviewing the final docs to suddenly think of something you want to put in there. Get yeah. it on the term, get it on the term sheet. And that's a and that's a good uh, segue into Jordan's question, which is how negotiable are term sheets? So, you know, Andreessen Horowitz hands me a term sheet saying, you know, we'd like to invest $10 million. Here are the terms. Do I have, is it a take it or leave it thing or? You know, how much negotiating can I do? Great question. Um, so the the NBC, the, the term sheet that venture capital firms use was standardized 20 years ago and put on a website called NVCA.org, the National Venture Capital Association's website, and it gets updated yearly. Uh, there's a company called Omni that's attempted to automate it and who publishes some really great data, uh, especially if you pay uh, for access to their database, you can get up to the minute data, which is pretty incredible. Um, love that, love, love that product, uh, and, and it tells you, you know, w- which, you know, based on anonymizing data from millions of transactions, you know, what what terms are negotiable when and where. Um, as in all things, uh, there there is more art than than science to what you can negotiate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first and most important thing is to understand the valuation, and you your your counsel can help you understand. Um, what the valuation is by by reading the term sheet and and reading things like what's the pre-money and what's in the pre-money and are they making you expand the option pool as part of the pre or is that going to be in the post? Um, what what is included in in the pre in terms of the existing notes and safes or are they they should be in the pre 
uh, are they or, or are they not in the post? Um, so, so the first and most important thing to understand in a term sheet is the valuation. And, and, and I always recommend attaching a, a pre and post money pro forma capitalization table as an attachment to the, to the term sheet. So there's no about what, what gets counted. Right, that's good advice. I also, you know, a couple of years ago when the whole frenzy was going on, every every startup wanted to announce their next financing uh, and the valuation. Right, it was this, mm-hmm. you know, it became it became this vanity metric um, that you know our last round was at a you know a three billion dollar valuation. Um, and you know what I saw happen a few times was that because the because the founders were so hung up on wanting that number to be high for the sake of the press release mm-hmm. they 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 would give on other terms in, in order in order to up the valuation because because of the because of the press release value <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which i think exactly. is generally a bad idea but very, very much so uh, i think that also the approach with when you're looking at term sheets for uh companies and negotiating think about what are the key things for you what are your key things that you can't live without because you're always there's always going to be a push pull you're going to have to give something for the money that's going to come in but if you have a good understanding of look these are the things that i don't like i don't want to give up board control at this stage or i don't want to be super diluted at this stage so for me the valuation is key but think about the key things that you really really cannot or don't want to give on or want to give very little on and then the rest will you know lay where it will lay well said i i I always say, you know, board control, um, is it time to get reloaded for more equity? In other words, you, the founder, are you being diluted yeah. by how much, what's left in the pool? Can you tap that? Uh, can you get a commitment to get more equity out of the pool post-closing? Um, you know, in the heyday of, of 21, we were seeing most term sheets had some liquidity for the founder. They were actually selling stock. Not so today. Uh, not so today. That trend has gone away. Uh, investors do not want to be funding founder liquidity right now. Right. Um, yeah, picking spots. Um, you know, another spot that I, I think about often is um, if the founder does want to have some liquidity later, you know, are, will they have some percentage of, of their stock that is exempt from the ROFR? Um, maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's 10%. Um, these are all kind of negotiable, negotiable things. Um, the investors are going to ask you to pay for their legal fees. Um, yes. Be careful. Putting, a, putting those in a box and in a cap is something that you're going to want to look to do. Mm-hmm. Um, understand, you know, who, who it is that they're going to be using. And so if they're using one of those big law firms that puts 10 lawyers on every deal, the number is going to be big. Um, and, you know, address that in the front end, because if you don't do it, uh, you're, you're, you're toast after the term sheet's mm-hmm. done. Exactly. I, re- I remember the first time I encountered this, first time I got a term sheet that said that I was going to both pay my legal fees on the transaction and I was also going to pay the VC firm's legal fees on the transaction. Um, and at the time it was, I think maybe around 30 grand on each side. And, you know, and my reaction was, how, how, how does it make sense that I'm paying their legal fees as well as my legal fees? <laughs> and when rationale, you borrow from a bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the rationale, of course, is that they want the tra- they want the transaction expenses to come out of the fund and not come out of their their yep. uh, management fee. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, so uh, Jordan asked for clarification, Louis, on uh, related party transactions. 
we used that term a minute ago and didn't uh, didn't define it. So yeah, related party transactions are transactions between uh, the founder and the company. So the the, the quintessential example is um, uh, FTX uh, borrowing money from uh, or pardon, lending money to uh, Alameda Research, which was uh, okay. Sam Bankman Freed's personal hedge fund. Uh, that was an example of a related party transaction that was not authorized, um, uh, nor was it approved. Adam, Adam Newman, the founder and CEO of WeWork famously, um, he personally bought the trademark on, mm-hmm. on we, we or WeWork, and then, yeah. he sold, and then he sold it to the company for $6 million. Um, and that doesn't tend to, go, tend to go real well when the board finds out about it. <laughs> Good thing to, uh, to have counsel um, uh, who can arrive on the scene and perhaps get those approvals when, when the moment is right. Um, we see many transactions that are technically related parties. Those are voidable under Delaware law. Yeah. Uh, unless they've been ratified by a disinterested board or by disinterested stockholders. So there are ways to clean those up um, and, and there are, you know, footfalls. And again, good counsel can identify and solve those. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right, guys, this has been great. But I think it's time to uh, bring this exciting discussion about term sheets to an end. Um, yeah. But let me ask each of you kind of just as a, as a, um, as a way to go out here. Um, you know, Natasha, what's your kind of high level advice? If you've got, let's talk, let's presume from the founder side. So if you've got a founder who says to you, I think I'm going to be getting a term sheet next week from mega big ventures, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's, what's your advice to them? Uh, first thing I would say, long pull is usually diligence. So make sure your documents are sorted. You have some type of data room, get your counsel working on that. Second thing I would say, do not sign the term sheet <laughs> before I review it. Right. Uh, sometimes we get in a circumstance where we're handed a signed term sheet and said, okay, work with this. Uh, so absolutely would say, do not sign it, have legal counsel review it, go through it with you. And as I said before, think about what are my non-negotiables? What are the things that are key to me at this stage of the fundraise? Uh, and it may be, I just need money in the door. That's fine. But go in with your eyes open and understanding kind of what you're willing to give up versus what is non-negotiable. Right. And I should say that I think I think most term sheets are non-binding, right? Mm-hmm. But, it's yep. still, but it's still pretty embarrassing to sign it and then mm-hmm. come back later and say, oh, you know what? After I talk to my lawyer, I have a few things I want to change. I want to change, yeah. It doesn't look good. <laughs> Not a good look. So, so even, <laughs> even though it says non-binding, don't sign it until you've had a chance to... So, to my founder friends out there, um, you know, your your job is to inspire and enchant the investor until all the way until the money is in the bank. And it doesn't end there. It, it, it continues thereafter uh, when you're in a new relationship, which is really, uh, really like a marriage. Um, but in, in this um, interlude period where you're you're courting and you're trying to, to land this investor's check, in your bank account, um, you're you're constantly um, pro- responding to requests for information, and, and it's only towards the very end of this process, usually after you've met all of the partners uh, in a in a, an investment committee, that you'll be given a, a nudge by the lead uh, investing partner from the VC, and they'll say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be writing a term sheet in the next week," and that's where you should stop and say, "Hey." 
talk to counsel. And, and this is when, you know, I, I'm going to have that conversation. What are those five things? Or what are those really important things? And maybe, you know, there's an opportunity to swap out a director that is not constructed. Um, maybe it's, a, it's, it's some liquidity that you need personally. Maybe it's that you need, you know, your employment deal reset. But there are, it, it is a sensitive thing that you present a few asks to your investing lead partner before they write the term sheet. Yeah, um, it's really helpful if you can slide those asks in before the term sheet um, so that they get it authorized in the first go. And it's not something that you have to negotiate after you've got something in writing. Or even some of the terms, like I was saying, that are the non-negotiables after you see. It's sometimes better to go back to your business folks and have the conversation as opposed to lawyers sending red lines back and forth. Right. So sometimes it is good to go back. In the beginning, like Louis said, you are the apple of their eye, so use that mm -hmm. to your advantage. Mm -hmm. That's all really, really good advice. All right, Natasha, Louis, this has been a great conversation. Uh, where can folks find you if they want to reach out to you? You add my name in the Google search engine, and there's no <laughs> hard to miss me. Hard to miss. And you can find me at Foley. So, and Alan at Foley.com. Happy to chat. Uh, and Brett, thank you very much. This was a wonderful uh, upon, um, event. We're, we're going to post the, uh, the, 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 uh, the recording of this on our website, FoleyIgnite.com. It is a great uh, source of information for founders and investors. Um, it's got a document generator. Um, it's got blogs, it's got uh, webinars, and uh, lots of resources there for the founders out there. Thanks again, Brett. Thanks, Natasha. Nice, good, nice, nice job right. getting that plug in, literally. Nice <laughs> to see you guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another of uh, our Wednesday discussions for entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors. See you soon.